Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor at Vintage Church. We're so grateful that you would take time to lean into a teaching from one of our weekend worship gatherings. Each week, one of our pastors opens the Word of God with a relevant message in the hopes that you are inspired to live and love like Jesus. We invite you now to open your heart and mind and lean into the Word of God. Amen, y'all. Thank you so much. So glad that you are here today. And turn around, tell your neighbor, you're glad they're here today too. If you're watching online, I'm so glad that you have set time aside on a beautiful Sunday to join us here at Vintage Church. So I, um, my name's Jasmine, if I haven't gotten to meet you yet. And I thought, you know, we need to start today with a little bit of honesty, transparency. I need to be a little bit vulnerable with you guys for a few minutes, okay? Uh, Some of the hardest hours of my life were lived when I was in high school. Very specifically, uh, from the months of August to November, from the hours of 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. I can remember walking into my fourth block class, my last class of the day, just anxiety, like tightening, clenching my gut. I would sit in class, and the closer that the clock ticked to three o'clock when school was out, I could feel the panic rising. I could feel the sweat start to bead. And after school, the bell would ring, and I would have to pick up my heavy legs and make my way down to the girls' locker room to endure probably the worst thing on this whole planet, running. (laughs) I hate to run. I mean, really, really hate it. And some of you are laughing because you're built like a gazelle, all right? You can just run. Your legs are long. You, You walk, you run like you're jumping around on clouds, okay? That's not me. When I was in high school, I was a teenager with toddler legs. Not much has changed except for the teenager part. Not, not a teenager anymore. But every day I would go and I would endure one of the worst things in the entire world so that I could enjoy something that I loved very much. And this thing that I really loved doing, I loved cheerleading when I was a student. I cheered from second grade uh, up through my freshman year in college. I loved it. I loved the friends that I got to cheer with. I loved the sports that I got to cheer for. And I loved, I loved what I got to do. I loved the athleticism. I loved the, the jumping and the cheering and the stunting. Like, I loved it all. But I hated running, and when you were in high school, you had to run in order to cheer. And so every day we had to run one mile. Now that might not seem a lot to you, but toddler legs here, that felt like forever, okay? Um, I, I, I hated it, but I, I thought, you know, one day, one day it's gonna click, so I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm gonna do this, this is gonna be fine. So you'd get, you know, get out on the track, hot. Y'all, it's May right now, and you know it just gets hotter from here. August in North Carolina is hot, and it's humid, and it is difficult to run, even under the best of circumstances. But I remember getting out, you start at the flagpole, you run around behind the guest side bleachers, in front 
of the, the I'm, I'm doing this already, I'm, I'm running, I can feel my body moving. And in lap one, you're like, I got this, I can go. I, okay, today is gonna be the day, God, I, I am, this is gonna be great. And you're running, you're like, this isn't that great, but I'm, I'm okay. And you get, you get on lap two, you know, you, you're, you've not run out of energy yet, but you're like, it's real hot, God. I probably prayed more on that track than probably anywhere ever in, in my whole life. I remember praying, God, God, please send rain. Just send some rain. It doesn't have to rain us out. I just need a little rain. Send a breeze. I mean, just a breeze, anything. It is, it is so hot. If you would give me the breeze, I would rise up on the wings like eagles. I would be able to make it around this track. God, I will give you all the glory. I'm looking for a rain cloud anywhere. I'm like, is there hope? God, is there a promise in the sky that you are gonna help me endure this running? Then you get to lap three, and you know lap three is the worst, okay? It is, right? If you have to run around something four times, lap three is the worst because you don't have the energy from laps one and two. And by lap three, I'm still praying, but I'm like, dear God, please, please let me throw up so I can sit down. Dear God, please let me sprain my ankle. Not too bad, so I can sit down. I mean, you know, you have to put the caveats in your prayers, right? In case God misunderstands and like breaks your ankle. He doesn't do that, P.S. Uh, you know, and, and then it's like, God, please just send lightning, just a bolt of lightning. Look, look at these, these tall goalposts here in the end zone. Look, it's a perfect striking rod. Just send a bolt of lightning down and we can go home. I need to stop running. And then you come around, you pass the flagpole onto that fourth lap and you're like, okay, last one. I can do, this is where I pull out all of the scripture out of context, you know? And I'm like, Oh, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I will give you the glory, God. I will give you the glory, God. Nothing is impossible with you. And I'm running around this track. And finally, you know, you make it to the flagpole and it's like, oh, okay. I made it. I'm done. You know, I always thought that there would be a day that it would click and, and I would love running. And that, that day never ever came. It's truly a miracle that day after day I made it to that fourth lap flagpole finish line. But I was willing to endure it because of the joy that I got from the, from the cheerleading that I really loved. This book of Romans, this series, the letter that we've been in has kind of felt like running a mile, right? We start out and we're like, okay, we can do this. We know it's going to be tough. We can do this. And then it gets hard. And there's some passages that make us feel really uncomfortable. And it's difficult to chew through. But then there's like hope. There's these clouds, these breezes that come through. When we learn that we have peace with God, that God has made atonement through, for our sins through the sacrifice of Jesus. We learn all of these beautiful things. And then you, we get into like chapter 9, 10, and 11. And like Matt said a couple weeks ago, why, God, why did you make us do this? This letter, this is so hard. But if Romans is like running a mile, then we're in, we're in lap four, okay? We're in the final part of this letter that Paul has beautifully written, where we can see how he has shown us 
what God's plan and purpose is for, for bringing us and making us right with God and then how we should live in light of what he has done. And so lap four would have started with chapter 12. Chapter 12, verses one and two says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in the view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world or to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. And it's in that view that we start into these last chapters of Romans. Paul teaches us there to continually keep God's mercy in view, what he has done for you and kept you from having to experience. Keep that continually in view and then give yourselves over to a life that's holy and pleasing to God because that's your logical response to what we have experienced and what we have in and through Jesus. Then he says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. You need to recognize them. Pay attention to what they are and then devote your life to renewing the way that you think, changing the patterns of your mind, not just the patterns of your behavior. Because if you do that, if you take on the mind of Christ, then you will be able to know what God desires for your life as a part of his kingdom. And I love that Paul doesn't just leave his readers hanging. He doesn't just say, hey, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay, thanks, bye, see you later. No, he points out to them and he says, hey, there's some patterns of this world that you might not be aware of and I wanna point them out to you. I know it's an overused analogy, but a fish that lives in water has a really hard time telling you what water is, not just because fish can't talk, but because they're in it all the time. But a marine biologist who studies the fish and the water that they live in understands it. The fish may think, oh gosh, I can't breathe. I don't know that they have cognitive thought like that, but they're, all they know is something's wrong. I, I can't breathe. But the marine biologist who lives outside of the water, who knows more, can point to the fish and say, this is why. Something's wrong with the water. We need, to, we need to address this. And that's what Paul does here. He says, hey, you might not recognize the patterns of this world because you live in it. You live in this Roman culture. I don't live there. Let me point out to you some patterns that you might be susceptible to falling into. He says things like, don't seek revenge because that's a pattern of this world, right? If somebody does something wrong to you, you get them back, right? That's a pattern of this world. And he says, don't do that. Let, let God deal with vengeance. He is just he has all the wrath. You don't have to worry about that. Instead, you spend your time and energy living at peace with all people. Don't, look, don't waste your time rebelling against or resisting against the authorities. Instead, submit, do good, pay your debts, give honor, give respect. Stop arguing with one another over things that do not matter. He says to Rome, and I say to you today, stop arguing about that. 
Just live in your convictions. Quit. And when I say don't argue over things, don't argue over the things that don't matter, the non-essential things. Stop trying to convince one another that you're right and they're wrong. Instead, spend your energy and spend your love pursuing righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That is a better use of the Holy Spirit in you. Now, before he ends his letter, he's going to point out one more pattern of our culture, of their culture and ours today that we're really susceptible to conforming to. And that is the pursuit of pleasing ourselves more than anything else, above all else, pleasing ourselves. Let's see how Paul sets this up. If you want to open your Bibles, we're going to be in Romans chapter 15 today, pretty much for the duration. So, you know, you might want to have something to take notes with, uh, but let's, let's dive right in. All right, Romans 15, 1 says, now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good to build him up. That our energy needs to be going, our attention, all of it needs to be going into building up our neighbor, not pleasing ourselves. Now this is incredibly counter to the culture that we live in today that teaches us things like, do whatever you need to do to make who happy? you happy, right? Do whatever you need to do to make you happy. We say things like, well, if somebody's offended by what you do, that's their problem, right? You, you do whatever you want to do. If they get mad about it, that's on them, right? You hear things like, if you don't take care of yourself, no one else will, right? That's the pattern of our world. We are very self-focused. We are very apt to turn all of our attention into making sure that our preferences are met. Now, when he talks about weakness, what he means is weak in faith. He doesn't mean strength weak. He means that, you, that people have different amounts of faith. Faith in, in what God has done, what Jesus has done for us, and the freedom that we have in Jesus. So what weakness in faith means is that the people are weak. Believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, have not yet grown up. They're still weak, trying to keep all of these rules that they think keeps them from sin and keeps them in good standing with God. Now, to be clear, this is about non-essential things, all right? This is a burden of saying, okay, I know that God said this, but I also probably have to do this, 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 and this, and this, in order to keep God happy, in order to make sure I don't fall into sin. Now, what Paul was talking about and the examples he gave was things like uh, the things that you can eat or drink, what's clean and what's unclean, days that are holy, feasts and festivals that you, you have to observe or don't. But today, these non-essential things might be things like what you wear to church. In our church, you can wear jeans, you can wear shorts, you can wear pajamas. Somebody might think it's a little weird, but probably nobody's gonna ask you anything about it. But other churches think, no, you need to wear dresses and suits. 
And one is not better or worse than the other one. It's a conviction held by different believers, okay? So things like what to wear to church, whether or not women can cut their hair, whether they can wear pants, whether they can preach, lots of opinions about what women can and cannot do. Things like what translation of the Bible that you're supposed to read. That's a non-essential thing. And he's saying, stop carrying around these things like burdens. Stop, stop, don't, all these people are burdened with all of these things that aren't necessary, but they're convicted by it. And so instead of standing aside and saying, hey, you've, you've got that wrong, you don't actually have to always wear dresses, okay? You can wear pants. <laughs> Experience the freedom that we have in Christ. No, instead of doing that, the, the picture that Paul paints is when he says bear up, he, he doesn't mean like grin and bear it or just you got to put up with other people. And let's be real, you do have to put up with people. But <laughs> he says, he uses this picture of bearing up under. He says when, when somebody has a different conviction than you, instead of spending your time pointing at them and saying, yeah, you've got that wrong, he says come alongside and bear up under this burden that they are carrying so that they can experience like, oh, it's, it shouldn't be this heavy. This thing that I've been carrying around for so long, maybe I, maybe I don't have to carry it anymore, but it's because you're close. You're side by side with them. And that's when you can say, hey, you don't have to live like this. You don't have to be bound by, by this rule. You have freedom in Christ. But that takes being close to one another, and it takes you biting your tongue. It takes you being interested in other people. But that's so counter. And there, this isn't the only time that Paul talks about putting others before yourself. He does it several times, and I want you to write this down because it's not going to be on the screen. This is your homework for the week. Make a homework list. You're welcome. All right. He talks about this. He recently talked about it in Philippians, or in, sorry, in Romans 12, verse 3. He talked about it in Philippians chapter 2 that Matt referenced last week. He talks about it in Ephesians chapter 4. All of those are great things that you could go read this week to see the vital importance of us not putting ourselves above, above others, but the ultimate and obvious example of someone who did not consider himself more important or above others is Christ, it's Jesus. And that's where he goes in uh, Romans 15, verses three and four. He says, for even Christ did not please himself. On the contrary, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. And then Paul says, for whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the scriptures. Now, what he, what he is setting up here, he quotes from Psalms to say, look, Jesus suffered all right? He didn't deserve it, but he suffered. And we look back at those scriptures to find encouragement, to gain endurance. He points us back to the Word of God. And it's not the only time that, that Paul has connected endurance and hope. He did that in Romans chapter 5 which you can go back. That was probably my favorite chapter in all of Romans. It was my favorite message. It was from March 20th. Go back and listen to it if you missed it. Because there is endurance that we get when we willingly suffer through 
afflictions. That these little disagreements that we have on these non-essential things, I, and I'm not trying to be dramatic here, but it is suffering, okay? When somebody believes something different from you, when somebody has a different conviction than you, and you're willing, instead of arguing with them, or instead of trying to tell them how they're wrong and you are right, if you would instead come alongside them and get to know them, ask a question, hey, why do you believe that? Where do you, where do you see that in the Bible? What, ex- what experience, how, what did you go through that makes you believe this about God? Because you saying, it's more important that I understand you rather than me telling you what I think, that's a tiny little dying to self. That's a tiny little way that you can practice that being a living sacrifice. When you put someone else above and more important than yourself, and this is going, you doing this, Enduring this affliction, it'll bring about endurance that will refine your character. It will lead to hope because God has poured out his love in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. He goes on in verse five, he says, now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another according to Christ Jesus so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. Therefore, welcome one another just as Christ also welcomed you to the glory of God. So first I want you to notice back in verse five, who is the source? We know we need, in order to endure people, okay, we're gonna need some endurance, we're gonna need some encouragement, but the source of that encouragement is God, God is the one who gives us the endurance that we need to to bear up with one another, to put up with one another, to love one another. That has to come from God. All patience, strength, steadfastness, encouragement, comfort, refreshing, it comes from the Lord. It does not come from you. You are not the source of your own ability to keep going. You are not the source of your own encouragement. If you depend on yourself and any kind of, you know, strength and endurance that you can muster up from pulling yourself up by the bootstraps, it's going to be short-lived. You're going to run out of steam. You're going to run out of reasons to keep going when you just don't feel like it anymore. Also, You are not the source, and no one else is either. No person on this earth is the source of your endurance and encouragement. It cannot come from other people. You cannot look to other people to be the ultimate source of endurance and encouragement. Will we find it there sometimes? Yes, absolutely. I have some incredibly encouraging people in my life. I have people who cheer me on, who say, you can do this, keep going. But if I depend on them to always bring that to me, I'm, I'm gonna be bitter when I don't get it. I'm gonna feel like they owe me something that they have withheld from me, and now I, I am suffering because of it. 
One of our core values here at Vintage is intentional relationships. And one major key to healthy relationships is proper expectations. So I need you to understand, this is so important. Your spouse, your kids, your coworkers, your friends, your church people, your neighbors cannot be expected to endlessly supply you with patience and with comfort, with encouragement so that you can endure difficulty. Sometimes they are the difficulty, right? They're the, they're the ones that you need encouragement to endure. So they can't be your source. If you expect them to hold something that they're not supposed to hold and pour out something that they're not expected or built to continually pour out, it will create division within your marriage, between you and your kids, between you and your coworkers, between the body of Christ. And that is the exact opposite of what this is, what, what Paul is saying. He says, God gives you endurance and encouragement so that you will live in harmony with one another, so that you will have unity together. And so ultimately, you will glorify God with one mind and with one voice. He wants you to live in such a way that no matter what differences you have between you, you can all bear together, you can work it out, you can you know, discuss, open your Bibles together, but then you can turn and stand side by side in unity and sing a song of worship and praise by the way that you live your life to the God of the universe. That's what he wants. He wants the way that we live and interact with each other. I know we come in here and we think that worship is the songs that we sing before the message. That's part of it, and it's a beautiful thing that we get to do to remind us of truth. But worship is everything that you do. So you worship God by what you post on Facebook. You worship God by who you subtweet. You worship God by the argument that you have with your neighbor about the dog pooping in your yard. You worship God by everything that you do. And what God wants is for, for you to say, hey, we're all gonna look at Jesus. He's the conductor of this beautiful song of worship, lifting to heaven. And right now, you're so busy arguing with one another that it's just dissonance. It's just two notes just grinding against each other. And there, there's no melody, there's no trying to move within this beautiful piece of music. And he says, I'm not saying you gotta sing the same note. He said, I'm not saying that you all need to look the same way and think the same way and talk the same way. That would be so boring and a poor use of God's incredibly vast creation. I mean, look across this room. No, no two people are identical, even identical twins, not identical. He has made us to harmonize with one another to move together in the same key, in a song of glory and worship, and that is what we do. We cannot, with one, with one mouth, both bite and snap and snip and be snarky and salty to our brothers and sister in Christ and then turn around and glorify God with that same mouth. One voice, 
one unified voice and mind to sing a song of worship to our God. And he says, to welcome one another as Christ welcomed us because because of the way that Jesus loves us, the way that we should love one another should be unmatched. It should be so remarkable that people are caught off guard by our generosity toward one another, by our care for one another, by our attentiveness to one another and the people that we encounter. The way that we love one another should take people's breath away. And we are at a critical time in our culture because right now people are looking at the church and thinking, I do not want to be part of that. You guys are mean to each other and mean publicly. We have a time, we are here at this critical moment to say, God, we are here, we sang that song, I will defend your holy ground. We are here to defend the kingdom of God, not by keeping people out, but by taking care of ourselves within it, by getting ourselves in order and loving one another the way that God, the way that Christ demonstrated and loves us. Will you do that? Will you say, look, the kingdom of God and bringing people the good news of Jesus is too important to spend our time being ugly to one another. Let's sing with one unified voice of the glory of God because He is worth being praised. You think that's good. Paul's just getting started. You think he could sign his name right there, right? But he doesn't, he continues with his letter. Romans 15, eight through 12 says, for I say, that Christ became a servant of the circumcised on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises to the fathers and so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and I will sing praises to your name. Again, it says, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will appear. the one who rises to rule the Gentiles and the Gentiles will, will hope in him. What Paul does here, and it can be kind of lost on us because we have the whole Bible, but what, what Paul does is he quotes here from Psalms, from Deuteronomy and from Isaiah. He quotes from the Torah, their instructional book, the story of how God brought the earth into being. He quotes from the writings and from the prophets, the three major pieces of writing to point and say, hey, Jews, you need to rejoice because God has fulfilled his promises. He has fulfilled his promises to you. Hey, Gentiles, you need to rejoice because you were written into his book before you even knew him. You have great reason to rejoice. Paul uses scripture to unify the believers. These scriptures pointed the Jews back to their heritage that they were so proud of and pointed out that it was God's will all along that these Gentile believers that they've been bickering back and forth with, that God God intended that you would praise 
him alongside of one another. These scriptures helped the Gentiles to value and honor the scriptures as instructive and as encouragement. I mean, how encouraging is it to find your name written in a book you didn't even know existed? How amazing is that? Wouldn't that draw you to that source of encouragement and endurance even more? He says, look back to the scriptures. Because it's not, listen, okay, I cannot, I cannot overstate the importance of reading, drinking in scripture on a regular basis as the source of your endurance and encouragement. You see, all scripture is God-breathed. It is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. That means God has breathed out this word. Scripture tells us that Jesus himself is the logos, the word. Jesus is the word of God. And so when you interact with the living and active word of God, you are interacting with the, in, the living and active God of the universe. He is living in the pages of scripture. If you will open your Bibles and see it, the logos of God, Jesus, the word of God. John uh, calls Jesus, he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He says, he put flesh on himself, the very word of God, the son of God, put on flesh. And he called himself the living water and said, if you drink from me, you will never thirst again. He is your source, never ending, because he knows that you need it. People are exhausting, okay, let's just be real. And he wants us to live in unity so that we can praise him with one voice and one mind. So he, is, he wants to pour out endurance and encouragement, and he does that through his Word. I mean, that Paul said it in Romans 15, 4. He said, whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures. Scriptures, it reminds us through stories and through songs and through prophets that we're not alone in being somebody who suffers. So many people in scripture suffered. Small things and traumatic things. We find in Scripture the promise and the truth of who God really and rightly is. Paul goes on in verse 13. He says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's praying this prayer. He says, God, you are the source. And he's kind of telling the people because it's like he sent a text message that said, hey, I'm praying for you, and this is what I'm praying. So he's both instructing and praying at the same time. He's saying, you know the source of your encouragement, this unending fountain of everything that you need. Keep believing in him. Keep 
turning to him, and he will fill you. He will. He will fill you with joy and peace and hope because the Holy Spirit, the God, the source himself, is in you. He is not over there. He is not on you. He is in you. The person of the Holy Spirit of God is in you. When we can endure with one another, when we have encouragement from the source, from God, we're able to see and name the good in other people. We're not threatened by one another. Paul, he talks about all of the good things in the church in Rome. In Romans 15, 14, he says, I'm convinced about you, you're full of goodness. You're filled with all knowledge. You're able to instruct one another. Y'all, what a refreshing thing to say, to see that you can talk about good things about other people. You can actually build people up when the source of your encouragement and your endurance comes from God. You can bear up, you can build up one another. Paul does that here. He builds up the church in Rome. It's, he didn't write this letter because he felt like they didn't know anything. He wrote it because he knew that they knew things and he just wanted to remind them. He wanted to remind them to, to not be fighting with one another, to be unified together. Because when you seek to build one another up, when you endure suffering, when you desire and strive for God's people to be unified in their love for God, God will do amazing things, amazing things. And Paul is the testimony to this. At the end of chapter 15, and I'm not gonna read all of the verses because there were two tiny phrases that might seem like throwaway phrases that I could not take my eyes off of. After, through this whole thing, he's bragging on God. He's saying, God has done all of these things through me, but God has done it to share the gospel with the Gentiles from Jerusalem to Illyricum. In verse 19, he says, as a result, as a result of practicing what I preached, as a result, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. And then in verse 23, he says, but now I no longer have any work to do in these regions. I've, I've done it all. Y'all, he, do you, did you catch that? He finished. He finished the work that God set out before him, not because he was looking to people to keep him going, not because he was just specially designed and just had it already built into him, but because he looked to God and to God's word and to those promises as the source of that encouragement to keep going, to keep fighting, to keep sharing the good, amazing, best news of Jesus with others. In John 13, John, um, He's telling about just the last hours of Jesus. And he said that Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he was gonna return to the Father. And it says that having loved his own who were in the world, Jesus loved them to the end. 
That's right. He loved them to the end. It was love that led Jesus to the cross. It was not resigned obligation. It was not resentful duty, but it was real and right love for his Father and for us. That's what led Jesus to the cross was love, not obligation. I think it was that love that kept Paul fixed on completing the work that God had set before him. I know that in verse one, Paul used that word, he said that we're obligated to bear the weaknesses of others. But I think that the hope is that in view of God's mercy, as we bear up with one another, that we'll actually love one another. And don't wait on that feeling. And I think he uses the word obligated because sometimes we don't feel that love first, right? Sometimes you have to obey first. Obedience will help to shape us and form us into people who can love, who do respond in love. And if I had to hear Paul's heart in these last chapters, this is what I think that he's saying. All of these ways that I'm asking you to be transformed, these ways of thinking that are gonna feel so counterintuitive, this way of loving and honoring people, it's hard. You will give up if you try to manufacture strength. You will become discouraged if you are dependent on the applause of others. You will constantly question your calling in God's kingdom if you are self-talking your way into believing it. But God himself wants him, wants you to keep running toward him with your hands open to receive all that he is, all that he has, and keep running towards people, not giving up on bringing the body, the bride of Christ, into unity until he has brought all things to a grand and glorious finish. Do not give up. I want to end reading Hebrews chapter 12, verses one through three, as a way to encourage you through scripture to keep going. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you don't grow weary and give up. Let's bow our heads. There's a few ways that I wanna just challenge you to respond today. One might be very simply to ask yourself, how have I conformed to the pattern of this world? How do I, how am I putting myself before others? 
How am I trying to please myself above all else? Search me, oh God, and know my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me. I want to walk in your everlasting way. Maybe it's that you need some endurance because you just can't with people anymore. You don't see how you can get past something that you know is not essential to being part of the body, but it's also so important to you and you just don't know how to get past it and to live in unity and to move toward other people. God, teach me to endure. Lord, I'm discouraged. I've looked to the wrong source for encouragement. I've felt betrayed, I've grown bitter because I've expected something from someone who was never meant to give me that thing. Forgive me, Lord, for not coming to you. Help me to change this pattern. Lord, you give us endurance and encouragement. We have hope in you and you have given us Jesus, the author and perfecter, the finisher, the completer, the completion of our faith. And it is in his way that we follow you. Thank you for your word. It is rich. We love you. We pray this in your name, amen. Y'all, thank you so much for being here. We would love to know what God is teaching you, how he's challenging you, even what you're struggling with. Use the respond feature on that app. Come talk to us, I'll be down here. Go talk to somebody in the lobby. We would love to come alongside you and encourage you and pray for you as we all run this race. Thanks y'all, have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Venice Church Podcast. We hope what you have just heard has inspired you to live and love like Jesus. If you'd like to know more about Venice Church or to get further connected, we invite you to visit us at our website at venicechurch.net. We'd also encourage you to download the Vintage app. There you can find more resources about how to get involved and grow in your faith. You can access the Venice Church app by going to app.venicechurch.net. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your spiritual journey, and we hope to see you soon.